Hello everyone, thanks for downloading. Welcome to Take Orally. My name is Jamie, one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. And in this episode, I'm going to be going through arterial blood gas interpretation. So I'm not ashamed to admit that uh, as a medical student, I had a certain amount of ABG uh, anxiety and avoidance, uh, but uh, there's no way of getting away from ABGs in emergency medicine. And um, whilst I wouldn't say I love them, I've certainly come to uh, use them an awful lot. And uh, certainly in uh, emergency medicine, we do rely on ABGs quite a lot. So um, hopefully going through this episode, we'll, uh, I'll show you a, a format of uh, how to interpret an ABG so that you won't suffer the same anxieties that I did. So first things first, uh, when should we actually do an ABG as opposed to a, a venous blood gas or a VBG? And what actual information will an ABG or a VBG tell us? Um, so everybody always thinks about uh, pH and CO2 and O2 when they think about uh, blood gas, but there's a lot more information on there. Uh, you can get hemoglobin, uh, not the most accurate, but will at least show you a, a trend. So if there's low on a uh, blood gas, you can be guaranteed that the formal hemoglobin will also be low. Uh, you can get uh, electrolytes, um, in particular sodium, potassium, uh, calcium and chloride. Uh, you get glucose and uh, you get lactate, uh, all very important information when we're dealing with a, a poorly patient um, and trying to uh, make our A2E approach. Now, when should we do an ABG versus a VBG? Um, I've never had an ABG myself, but I think they're pretty unpleasant uh, to go through. So I would say only do an ABG if absolutely necessary. Um, if uh, you are only interested in uh, electrolytes, the hemoglobin, uh, lactate or glucose, uh, a VBG is perfectly adequate. You can interpret the CO2 on a VBG as well, as long as it's uh, normocapnic. And um, if your patient feels warm peripherally and uh, you're getting a good SATS probe tracing, uh, you can follow the SATS that are on the patient's uh, monitor, uh, as opposed to having to do a, um, an ABG. Really, ABG should be reserved for the patients where you're worried about respiratory failure if you're not being able to get uh, peripheral uh, SATs. And if you think about how quick a blood gas is to take, you know, no more than three minutes, as opposed to waiting for the formal blood test that can take best part of an hour. So if you have a, an acutely unwell patient, if you want to know desperately quickly that uh, their potassium level, if you're querying DKA, um, you know, all that information very, very quickly taken and uh, very often in, in A&E when I have a moribund patient with a reduced GCS, their blood gas um, forms a large part of my um, clinical examination and decision-making process. So in this podcast, I'm going to be focusing on ABGs, but it's important to remember when you can do a VBG and like I said, to limit ABGs only to when necessary because like I said, they're not very nice for your patient to be put through. So before we go a little bit more in uh, depth into the uh, format of a blood gas interpretation, just better talk about the normal values that we're going to be expecting. So uh, normal blood pH uh, should be between uh, 7.35 and 7.45. Um, partial pressure oxygen should be between 10 to 14 kilopascals. CO2 should be between 4.5 and 6 kilopascals, whereas bicarbonate should be between 22 and 26. So first things first, when you're looking at the uh, blood gas, as with all uh, data interpretation, is to make sure that it's taken from the right patient at the right day at the right time. And also to make a note of how much oxygen the patient's on, whether they're on room air, which is 21% oxygen, or whether they're on um, the supplementary oxygen and to record how much the oxygen they're on. 
and also to take into account how long they've been on that oxygen. Hypoxia is one of our 4Hs and 4Ts as a reversible cause of cardiac arrest. So I always look at the oxygen first because that's going to kill the patient quickly. Uh, the most quickly that you can see on the blood gas. Um, so have a look at that PaO2 and make sure that it's within normal uh, limits. But also take into account um, the possibility of relative hypoxia. So as a good rule of thumb, if your patient's receiving extra oxygen, their PaO2 should be approximately 10 kilopascals less than the percentage inspired concentration of oxygen. So if your patient's on a 24% Venturi, you should see a PaO2 of 14 kilopascals. That's important because your patient may be on extra oxygen and uh, their SATs may look absolutely fine uh, on the monitor. Um, but when you do a, uh, an ABG, you may look at your patient who's on a 40% Venturi and look at their PAO2 and find that it's only within the normal limits. It's only between 10 and 14. It's not 30 as you would expect. That's relative hypoxia and a sign that although all the numbers are good, your patient is still poorly. If the patient's uh, PaO2 is below 10 kilopascals, we can say then that the patient is hypoxic. If it's below 8 kilopascals, we can say that the patient is severely hypoxic. Looking at the PaO2 and the PaCO2 in combination, we can then work out what sort of uh, respiratory failure our patient has. If they have a type 1 respiratory failure, the patient will be hypoxic, but will have a normal or low CO2. If they have a type 2 respiratory failure, the hypoxia will be in combination with a hypercapnia, so the PaCO2 will be above 6. That tells us that uh, the lungs are failing in both of their jobs to uh, bring oxygen into the body and to get rid of carbon dioxide. So when it comes to type 2 respiratory failure, um, I like to think of the causes under three uh, headings. Uh, the first one is the lungs themselves, so the most common condition there is COPD. The second heading is uh, the chest wall and uh, muscles of inspiration. So here we're looking at uh, chest wall deformities or injuries, um, problems um, with um, the muscles themselves, something like uh, motor neurone disease or Guillain-Barre syndrome. The third and final heading, uh, you're looking at uh, central causes, you're looking at um, anything affecting the um, inspiratory centres within the uh, medulla of the brainstem. And uh, most common things you might see there in um, A&E are uh, maybe a brainstem stroke or injury or um, somebody who's taken an overdose of uh, substances such as opiates or uh, barbiturates. So we now come to look at the pH. So a uh, bit of revision, pH is a logarithmic scale. Uh, from 1 to 14, looking at um, the concentration of hydrogen ions uh, within a, um, a solution. Your blood is a solution, in, in essence. Um, the more acidic a solution, the lower the pH, the more alkaline a solution, the higher the pH. And in the blood, uh, the two main substances we're looking at there are your uh, carbon dioxide, which is acidic, and bicarbonate, which is basic and acts as a buffer in the blood. There are other things that can affect pH, so lactate is acidic, um, for example. Ketones are also acidic and need to be remembered. Um, so looking at the pH, um, if it's below 7.35, you can say the patient is acidotic. If it's above 7.45, you can say they're alkalotic. And then it's a case of looking at, is this a respiratory problem or a metabolic problem? Your lungs will take care of uh, CO2 um, through increasing or decreasing the rest rate. If you increase the rest rate, you blow off CO2. If you decrease it, you will start retaining CO2. And your kidneys will uh, sort out uh, bicarbonate, either by increasing or decreasing uh, production. To 
say you've noticed that uh, the pH is low, so your patient is acidotic. How do you work out whether it's a respiratory or a metabolic acidosis? Well, for this, I use the mnemonic ROME, R-O-M-E, which stands for Respiratory Opposite Metabolic Equal. So for any pH change, whether it's up or down, if the problem is respiratory, the carbon dioxide will be on an opposite trend to the pH. So if you have a respiratory acidosis, if the pH is low, i.e. acidotic, the CO2 will be high because CO2 is, acid, is acidic in solution. If the pH um, is high, i.e. alkalotic, if it's a respiratory alkalosis, the, P the CO2 will be low. Uh, conversely, if uh, there's a metabolic problem, the, uh, you look at the bicarbonate, that will be going in an equal trend to the pH. So if the pH is low, if it's a metabolic acidosis, the bicarbonate will be low. If the pH is high, if it's a metabolic alkalosis, the bicarbonate will also be high. So if you remember Rome, R-O-M-E, respiratory opposite, metabolic equal, that should help you identify whether you have a respiratory or metabolic cause for your patient's deranged pH. Bearing in mind you can have a mixed picture, you can have uh, a mixed uh, acidosis or a mixed alkalosis. So in a mixed acidosis, uh, CO2 will be raised, bicarbonate will be low. In a mixed alkalosis, uh, CO2 will be low and bicarbonate will be high. It's also important to mention uh, when I talked about oxygen to think about um, relative hypoxia. Whilst we're uh, still talking about carbon dioxide, uh, I just want to mention asthma. If your patient comes in with uh, an acute exacerbation of asthma, they're hyperventilating, therefore you should see a low CO2 on their uh, ABG because they're blowing it off. If you start seeing a normal or even worse raised CO2, that tells you that the patient is becoming um, very unwell and developing uh, life-threatening and then near-fatal asthma. You should never see a normal or raised CO2 in somebody coming in with an exacerbation of asthma. So having identified our problem, there's then the idea of looking at uh, compensation. So um, the body acts to try and balance the problem by uh, compensating with the opposite side. So if there's a respiratory problem, the metabolic system will uh, pick up the pace and try and compensate. And if there's a metabolic problem, the respiratory side tries to compensate. So respiratory compensation is basically through altering uh, the respiratory rate to try and blow off or retain CO2. Um, metabolic compensation will be um, through either uh, reducing or increasing uh, bicarbonate production. Respiratory compensation is very, very quick and can happen um, almost instantaneously, whereas metabolic compensation takes at least a few days to occur. With full metabolic um, compensation, such as the chronic type 2 respiratory failure picture that you see in COPD, that tells you that uh, this is a, a long-standing issue. If you have a patient coming in with uh, respiratory failure and uh, respiratory acidosis with no uh, metabolic compensation at all, that tells you this is an acute problem and has been going on for less than two days or so. So basic success was something that uh, sort of confused me a lot when I was a student. I think it's poorly named. I think it should either be base deficit or base success. It shouldn't just always be called base success. Uh, it's basically a surrogate marker of uh, metabolic acidosis or alkalosis. Um, base success should be between uh, minus two to two. 
the higher that base success is, so above uh, plus two, that uh, tells you that there's a higher than normal amount of base or um, bicarbonate in the blood. Uh, it shows you that there's a, a metabolic uh, alkalosis or a compensated respiratory acidosis because the, the body's making more uh, bicarbonate. If there's a low base success, what I would rather call a base deficit, uh, so a BE of less than uh, minus two, that indicates there's a lower than normal amount of bicarbonate in the blood. That suggests either a primary metabolic acidosis or a compensated respiratory alkalosis. So then having looked at the, the oxygen, pH, uh, CO2 and uh, bicarbonate and base excess, it's now time to remember to look at everything else that's on our blood gas. And like I mentioned at the beginning, those things like uh, hemoglobin, glucose and lactate, you don't want to miss anything that might be on there. It's no good, um, you know, being reassured about a patient's CO2 level if you miss the fact that they're hyperkalemic at the same time. Quick mention on the anion gap or AG, uh, which is useful when you have a metabolic acidosis to try and determine the cause. Um, the normal anion gap uh, value varies, but is typically about 4 to 12. An increased uh, anion gap uh, acidosis indicates increased acid production or ingestion. might be seen in uh, DKA, lactic acidosis, or in the overdose of certain drugs, including aspirin. Um, I won't go into all of the causes there. That's uh, for another podcast, um, but um, it's important to um, keep in the back of your mind. Uh, if you see a decreased anion gap, that indicates uh, a decreased acid excretion or loss of uh, bicarbonate here you're really looking at the kidneys uh, is there any uh, renal tubular acidosis uh, is there any GI loss of bicarbonate either through diarrhea ileostomy proximal colostomy or does the patient have Addison's disease are they retaining hydrogen ions so that's it that's how you interpret uh, an ABG um, if you remember that stepwise approach if you remember the mnemonic Rome uh, you really can't go wrong and um, hopefully you too will learn to uh, start to love uh, arterial blood gases uh, I hope that was helpful uh, once again thank you very much for listening uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at at McDreamy uh, don't forget Tech Crawley is on Facebook and Twitter uh, we'll put up any um, extra information uh, our website is coming soon so watch this space and we are coming soon to YouTube as well and uh, if you want to know anything more about uh, research and education opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, don't forget NUH Dream is on both Facebook and Twitter. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.